Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams, and episode number 70 is on the way. Welcome back, everyone. My guest for episode 70 is Adam Reimer. He is the president of Nerdist Industries, part of Legendary, a media company based in Los Angeles. I went to his office to have this chat. You'll notice at the very beginning, I start off with talking about how I was laid off in this same office. So Adam actually occupies the office where I was laid off by a company six years ago. I'd never been back there. It was a very surreal moment. Adam was joking that I needed to burn incense in the office to get the spirits out. Um, But stick around for the end of this episode. Adam has a lot of great thoughts about building a modern-day media company around a podcast that turns into a multi-platform YouTube Snapchat machine. And you may recognize Nerdist Industries, where Adam's the president is Chris Hartwick's baby. He actually started the Nerdist podcast years ago, now up to 700 episodes. So we talk a lot at length about how Nerdist and Chris's vision is still within the DNA of the company Nerdist Industries. And if you like the podcast, I'd love it if you could share this episode out with people. It's a good one. Facebook, Twitter, email, text, by Carrier Pigeon, by Snail Mail, by FedEx, whichever your favorite communication channel is. And leaving a review in iTunes really helps with having people more and more listen to the podcast and discover it. So without further ado, Adam Reimer. So yeah, so when I worked here at Digison, I was – Disney acquired the company and we built a studio downstairs. This was the executive floor. I was laid off in your office. Oh, no. <laughs> so I haven't been back here since then. So I told my wife I was coming back to the scene of the crime. And this is like six years ago. Wow. So literally the HR and two of the executives sat me down. And I walked by your office and I waved to you. And I thought that's where it all went down. I don't think it has this energy anymore. No, no. Well, I'm glad to, we're glad to have you back here. And hopefully it'll be a much more. <laughs> well, I, I got laid off. and It was one of the best career moves ever because I got severance. And then I got a job at Machinima right during my severance. And then Machinima gave me the idea for the influencer economy. And then finally, a bunch of years later, here I am back coming full circle. Well, we've got a, we've got a good, great group of people here. We've got about 55 or 60 people here on any given day, uh, sort of working across all facets. It's kind of like a mini studio. We've got people writing, directing, editing, uh, doing post-production sales. It's, uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Wanted to start off with talking about Nerdist. Sure. Because that's one, I would say, your flagship property mm-hmm. that has the most name recognition. And so when you joined, what's now, what, a year and a half ago? About a year and a half ago. What, what's, uh, what's, what's going on with Nerdist? How, how's it going? It's been a, it's been a wild ride. I mean, it, it feels like I, I'm doing two weeks of work in any given, given week, which is you know, not because there's just so much to do, just because there's, there's so many things we can do. Um, you know, it, it's been in the last year and a half, the industry has changed so much. And what we've got now is a team of people that's trying to take advantage of all those changes that are happening. So when I came in, we were a, a company that had a website and a podcast and a YouTube channel. And one of the things that I think everybody was trying to figure out around then was how do those things all fit together? Um, so our first step was really looking at our website and looking at our podcast, looking at the YouTube channel and saying, okay, these all need to work in the same direction, sort of like a a crew team all growing in the same, same pace. Uh, and we revised our website, 
we started taking a much more holistic approach. Um, ironically, something that Disney is probably one of the best in the world at doing. Yeah, the franchise model. Yeah, using and using every finger of the company to kind of direct a message or pull in the same direction. Um, so we've been trying to do a little bit more of that with, with Nerdist, and that's resulted in us, I think, uh, you know, using the, the website to promote the podcast, using the podcast to talk about the videos that we have going on, and also expanding it to new fertile areas that are out there. You know, we're, we're releasing our first film in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. That's branded as, as Nerdist. Nerdist presents The Hive. Um, we're getting the publishing space. We're now have the Nerdist channel on seven or eight different platforms uh, beyond just YouTube and thinking about how to appropriately window our content across those different platforms. So it's been, it's been pretty exciting. And, and what's I think been most rewarding is the number of companies that are now coming to us to ask how we can work with them instead of us kind of dialing and, and reaching out and, and trying to promote ourselves. Which wasn't the norm, I imagine. It was not the case. When yeah. it was, you're building this thing up. Absolutely. And so what, how do you describe what you do? Like if you're at a cocktail party or happy hour or like getting coffee with someone? Sure. Or where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. So when you go to Fort Lauderdale to see the fam, sure. how do you articulate what you're up to? Uh, well, it's, it's not the easiest thing to describe, I think, as most people will find. But, you know, we are, we are a, a next generation content producer and distributor. Uh, we have th this great brand, which, you know, I think everybody here has a very good understanding of what Nerdist means. Um, and we, we try to define that internally regularly so that everybody stays on the same page. And then we, we try to take that brand and, and really take advantage of whatever new technologies are out there to create content for that platform, whether that's Snapchat or Facebook or YouTube or the web in general. We're constantly looking at what's coming next and what kind of content we can produce for the audience that might be using that platform. That's what we did at Digison when we were part of Disney for all their like Pixar properties and figuring out like the conversations to have on the new platforms that are growing at these rapid paces that you have to be on if you want to stay relevant and communicate with your audience. Mm -hmm. And so for you all, like Chris started this as a podcast and a blog and a blog. Yeah. And this was how many years ago? That was, I, I want to say that was five or six years ago now. So people thinking this is an overnight success is not even realistic. No, I mean, the podcast is now up to episode number 725 or so and still going strong. Um, but yeah, you don't get to 700 podcasts just by doing a couple. Yeah. So yeah, it's a grind. Yeah. And you just got to start it. And keep going. And keep rolling with it. And then when you all came into the involvement with Nerdist, what was, uh, do you remember what episode the podcast was at or? It would have been right around, it would have been right around probably a little before 500. Okay. Maybe 400. So even 500 episodes later. Yeah. And does he record the podcast here? Uh, Chris records it wherever he, wherever he has to be. So sometimes it's at, at midnight. Sometimes it's uh, at a, a PR company. Sometimes it's, it's wherever the, the talent happens to be and wherever it works out. So it's mobile. Mobile. Sometimes down at Nerd Melt. Okay, cool. Have you been on the podcast? Not on Chris's podcast, not yet. No? What about, do you have your own? I, I do not. I'm, I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. You're an operator? I, 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 they, they don't let me out of my, my closet. You're in the, uh, the hatchet room <laughs> where I got laid off. <laughs> so then uh, it's, it's just amazing because people think, you know, that I get certain like, emails from people that listen to this podcast, and 
the advice I usually give people is just go for it. And when I talk to people like Bernie Burns of Rooster Teeth, mm -hmm. he just says you have to hone your craft. And then, you know, Bill Simmons, who I'm writing about, he says he calls it getting your reps. Like you really have to like exercise muscles to not only get better, to just but to keep building something that you can't create overnight. Sure. What's what's your voice? How does the audience connect to you? Uh what what gets them listening again? You know, keep track of those things. Where are they coming from? Um are are you actually getting repeat people to come back? Do people have a good experience on your podcast? And then How about the guests? About, yeah, the guests. Making sure that the guests actually enjoy what they're doing. And then being regular and consistent, you know, and it, I'm sure you've heard this from some other people, but it's about it's about making an implied contract with your your audience, right? If if you're say you're gonna put a podcast out every Tuesday, you're better put that podcast out every Tuesday. Yeah. Because when it gets to Wednesday and it's not there, that audience has, has moved on. Uh, Jeff Ulrich. From Earwolf, he told me that it's erosive, which is extreme. It like, really scared me because I had my first podcast up like every other week, and he was an early guest, but he, he was obviously making the point that it is it hurts your community if you can't create a, a habit for them to come back. I, I, I love Jeff, and, and you know he's probably done more for the podcasting business than, than almost anybody in this space, you know, at least as a behind-the-scenes. He's a key player in the book. He's I didn't even realize it, but I talked to him year and a half ago and suddenly I'm peppering in quotes from him and for those who don't know Jeff Ulrich was one of the founders of Earwolf Media and Midroll Media and you all work with them yeah and, and, and Midroll was just acquired by Scripps okay um, and, and yet at the same time they were just in Inc. Magazine as one of the 500 fastest growing companies in, in the US and they supply advertisements they help us with sponsorships for the podcast and podcasts are so hard to monetize they, they have they're easier now they, than they were yeah I think uh you know, there's this, a bit of the serial effect of people saying, oh, this is actually something that people listen to and do. Um, I, I think that there is still a lot of room for growth in monetizing podcasts. It's a, it's a fairly inefficient monetization space right now. And there's a lot of tools that exist in other advertising businesses like television and radio that don't exist yet for podcasts. So for example, you know, there's spot advertising where it's just I need to reach this many people on this day. And right now you can go to radio and you can go to television and you can just go do that. I've got $20,000, get me some spots and put my message out there. And that doesn't work right now on podcasts. There's no easy method to just reach a bunch of people, which could help a lot of the smaller podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, there's not even like a farm team type because you get blogs and you have these big, like Nerdist, for example, is a big blog. Mm -hmm. But then you, there's all these blog networks that aggregate smaller blogs that are in the same niche. But you can't get a deal at mid-roll unless you have at least like 30,000 listens. Yeah, that's about the number. I mean, 30,000 is pretty much the number of, of average downloads you need on a podcast to start being regularly monetized. And you still can't make, like, quit your job money at that level. No. You know, a lot of podcasters are still hobbyists. So what do you think was the resonating feature of Chris's voice that got Nerdist to break out? I think, look, I think Chris is a phenomenal interviewer. I think, I think, you know, when you listen to a Nerdist podcast, you really feel like you're getting inside the person that he's talking to and the conversations end up being while the, the guise of why they're having the conversation might be about promoting something that they're about to be part of, whether it's a movie or a TV show. Um, the, the conversation is actually more about, them and life and what they're interested in and i think you come away from almost all the podcasts feeling like you actually just experienced a very personal uh moment with these people and what i love about that so i went to e3 mm -hmm. 
last year and you all had this like crazy video game partnership and it was this like Godzilla character that was fighting like Malik and <laughs> like I used to work at Machinima like we're saying and some guys Adam Kovic and Bruce Green were playing with you all and Jessica was it was this crazy like trophy ceremony and there were people like <laughs> casting the game like they were broadcasting a football match and it was like a phenomenon going on and when I met some of your folks they were talking about the negative internet mm-hmm. and how we were just saying how like YouTube can be so mean and racist and hateful but there's a certain philosophy here about like, you, you, you sort of took where I think in a lot of ways these multi-channel networks like Machinima I felt like we pandered to the lowest common denominator mm-hmm. which I'm I, I mean I fully admit that <laughs> and I didn't always agree with it but I felt like you all like try to go at least talk at a higher level and it's not mean. And I think that's like a you know, philosophy that I'd love to hear more about. Look, we're, what you'll find, and you've, you've met a bunch of the people that work here, and for, for everybody listening, you know, the, a lot of the people that, that work here are, are fans. I mean, they are who you think they are. They're not actors playing the part of yeah. somebody who's a big comic book fan or somebody who's a big role-playing game fan. They are these fans. I mean, when they're not here, I, I look online, and when I'm, when I'm playing my Xbox, I, I turn online and I see a bunch of the people that I work with also playing on their Xbox. Um, and, and that means that we've all grown up in that culture of being bullied or something else as we were younger and, and like playing video games or reading fantasy books or whatever it might be. And, you know, those of us who are here have gotten to the place where it's, you know, we're lucky enough to be at a company that we support ourselves through being those fans and feel pretty lucky about it. Um, you know, so there's no, there's no need for us to be negative about fan culture or loving something or enjoying something because we've all, all of us here have liked something at some point and been, uh, you know, bullied in some way because of it. And now we tend to be supportive of anybody who's, who's passionate about what they, what they like. Which pre-internet, like you were into comic books and you could get made fun of or right. You being a video game player was an introverted activity and it wasn't social and you were an outcast. Right. Right now, I think, you know, the climate as a whole has changed a lot for, for people who are nerds or fans of something. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think that it hasn't changed all the way to the point where you need there, there's still no need for people to be negative, I think, about people who are fans of things. And there's more of a like a community based model where you're like, OK, well, you like this game. What, what's a game that you guys play? Uh, here, you know, we, we play, we, we play, uh, heroes of, of, we play Hearthstone. Hearthstone. Okay. I've never heard of this game, Yeah, but I imagine there's a big following around it. Hearthstone's got a huge following. And the internet loves it. Internet loves it. You guys embrace the fact that you enjoy it. Yep. So you're not really saying like this sucks. It's not like a negative review, which it seems like that's an obvious thing to do. But the fact that you're able to embrace the personality of people that work here isn't as easy as you think. Because the internet people love to just <laughs> pile on and bully and join the latest trend of hating on something. Sure. So how do you all, like, you talk about the geek embracing and people have been bullied, but how do you, like, how does, like, what's the culture like then just as far as, like, giving people the chance to, to act, be that way and be themselves? Look, you know, we've got, we've got our primary editors. We've got our sort of pantheon of, of, of nerds. You know, we've got Malik in gaming and Dan Casey in pop culture and Kyle Hill in science and Matt Grossinger in music. And, you know, they've all got their, the things that they're, they're passionate about. When they have ideas for things, 
we let them run with it and, and just be themselves. And if they say, Hey, I want to go to PAX to cover this thing. We say, okay, go, go do it. Because if you like it, there's probably a bunch of other people that do too. What we, what I don't have to deal with very often, if ever, is somebody saying, Hey, I want to go cover this thing because I think it's going to be terrible. And wouldn't get a lot of, we'll get a lot of clicks if, if we write something that's, this is the worst movie you've ever seen in your life. Like that's just not, that's just not who we are. It's about celebrating things. And if, it's almost, you know, not to, not to be too like six year old about it, but it's like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Yeah. So we tend to not say anything. Um, occasionally we'll have to say something, right? If there is a, if there is something that's just so prevalent that there's so much other press about it, it would be weird for us to not get in on it in some way, but we try to do it in a, in a meaningful way. Like, you know, like fantastic four, the movie, you know, it's, it's, okay, we can't not talk about it. This is we we live in fandom world. I mean, this is a Marvel movie that we need to talk about, but you know, we try to talk more about, you know, what, what went wrong, what could have been better, how, what should happen going forward. Not about what are the 50 things that were terrible about the movie. That was a great follow-up question that I didn't have to ask. So thank you for that. I was going to ask for an example, <laughs> but so you're maybe more objectively talking about it and saying this went wrong. This could have been better versus just like that sucked. Like, you know, the, the world's ending because it's so easy to be extreme. Sure. And be and, negative. And there's plenty of people that do that. Yeah. But, so, but that's also helped you all with your company because people then know that's what you're about. Well, we want people to come and, and be part of our, our world, right? I mean, the way I always describe it is our, our channel doesn't exist on its own. Our channel exists because there are people who watch our channel or, and, and people who participate and engage with us on a day-to-day basis that read something of ours and share it with with someone else. It's a bit metaphysical, but I, I, I try to say that our channel only exists when somebody shares one of our articles with someone else. Right. Right. It's almost like the tree in the woods kind of idea. Yeah. Right. If you post an article and somebody just reads it, I don't think you've really achieved your goal. When you post an article and somebody likes it enough to actually tell their friends to look at it, now you've actually accomplished something. And that's where our channel lives, sort of in that in-between fold of social sharing um, and that's really important to us. And that means being positive. That means being supportive. That means putting out the kind of stories and messages that people want to be part of and, and engage with so that when we show up at things like Comic-Con or South by Southwest, nobody's afraid to walk in the door. Nobody's afraid to put on a costume and walk in the door and think, oh, these guys are going to make fun of me. That, that would never happen. You know, we, we celebrate that. We support that. We, we might add more things to your costume to make it even better. Adding more elements, adding <laughs> to the costume. I, uh, I, I, I like talk to different clients. I like, help people market their stuff. And one thing about like, shareable content, like you're saying, it doesn't exist unless it gets shared. Mm-hmm. Is like if you can make people laugh or make them smarter. That's like what in, inspires people to share your stuff. Mm-hmm. Because without those characteristics, it's just another something else that's in the air. Sure. I mean, it, it's hard to achieve, especially if you're trying to not resort to clickbaiting type things, right? Nerdist will, we might do it occasionally, um, hopefully in a way that people enjoy, but we will never become a site that is constantly 13 different ways to dress up Boba Fett or, you know, 20 things that were wrong with the trailer for this. Right. right. Um, or, you know, we might do some things that are more clever than that. We might say like, you know, 10 things in guardians of the galaxy that, that are Easter eggs that you missed kind of a thing, which I think is a little bit more informational and fun just happens to be in a list format, but we're not going to be a constant source of, you know, here's, 
here's something with a crazy heading that makes you want to click on it. Yeah, like sensationalized headlines are sure. easy way to get clicks. Right. So then if you are talking about clicks, though, in the end, you want to make money. So do you have sponsors then that are the right fit that say, okay, we can get this reach on whatever what, listicle website that does 20 things to make Fantastic Four not mm-hmm. suck as much? Like, do you feel like there's a right type of sponsor or the right type of brand that you work with? Yeah. Look, I mean, there there are certain categories that we won't work with, you know? I mean, that I, you know, like firearms, right? We're not going to start being part of that. Um, Which, randomly enough, there's a lot more firearm podcasts now. <laughs> like, I went through this I frequent iTunes. To check, I check rankings. Yeah. I'm not afraid to admit it. And the sports podcast, suddenly there's a lot of firearm podcasts. Interesting. Which doesn't, it's not surprising. No. Um, but it's not on brand with you all. Not, not on brand with us. For us, you know, the, the right person, to, the right kind of sponsor for us understands that it's about engaging with the audience and the audience actually wanting to be supportive of whatever it is that's being promoted. If somebody's, we're, we're never going to be the right place for somebody who's just looking to reach super mass scale, right? If you're trying to just reach every single person in the country tonight, that's not us, right? There's, there are places that can do that. There are sites that can do that. Um, for us, it's, it's really about, it's about what I call, it's, it's a term that I don't know if anybody's used this before, but I call it like audience husbandry, right? It's how do you take your audience and, and make sure that they're being well kept after and maintained and want to actually be part of your community. Right. Or, and be willing to fight. Right. And say, this is great because of this. And so, yeah, there's like a certain sense of partnership. Exactly. And so then when someone comes to work with you guys, you have all these different platforms, right? So you have YouTube, podcast, at midnight, which could be sounds like it could be separate. Yeah, it's a little bit separate, but but then people can just do a general like media partnership with events, live events. We've got our site. We're we're on multiple different platforms. We're on Xbox. We're on Vessel. Uh, we're on Spotify. Um, so they're you know by working with us, they can reach people that watch across all those different platforms. Um, we do branded content. So sometimes a partner will say, we want to create an original show or original web video that helps promote our brand or whatever it is we're trying to sell. And we'll use our writers and our directors and our producers and actually create something specifically for them, which we might release on our network or on other people's networks. Uh, so there, there's lots and lots of different ways to work with us. What do you guys do on Spotify? Do you have the podcast? Yeah, so Spotify made an announcement about four months ago now that they're moving into video. There's going to be video. Oh, cool. Um, on Spotify and they've only released it to right now. I think it's 10% of iOS users and 1% of Android users, but the next version of Spotify is going to have video as part of it. And Nerdist, uh, will have some series that are going to be part of oh, that's it. That's cool. Uh, there's a show that we're doing called celebrity playlist uh, that Matt Grossinger, uh, hosts. And we bring in various talent that is in this kind of Nerdist world to talk about their favorite music and those kinds of things. And then through Spotify, you'll be able to listen to all of those tracks oh, That's cool. Uh, that they talk about. So then it could be like, so you're, what are you on? Like Xbox, PlayStation? Not yet on PlayStation. Roku? We're, on, we're not, not on Roku yet. Um, Xbox, uh, Xbox Vessel, Daily Motion, okay. YouTube, our own site. Uh, and we're working on, on a few that I, that I can't really. So you have like the frontiers covered right now. Like what's Vessel came out recently. And sure. so it's like whatever new video type of platform, you're at least going to experiment. We're going to experiment with it. Yeah. You know, and it's or, worth your time, then you'll double down and exactly. put resources, maybe sell ads integrated into it. Exactly. That's and, right. So what's that like? I mean, is it 
so similar to what we used to do in this office. <laughs> I thought it was so exciting. We had a lot of battles, though, because we were part of Disney. Yeah. So we politically, like, the theatrical group, and without getting too into it, like, they fought for their banner ads. Mm-hmm. Like, they really wanted to do banner ads. And we're like, no, banner ads are irrelevant, right? You want content. So what's it like for you all, and you especially, with your role, seeing all these new platforms emerging, like, you're in the heat of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it's really hard. It's, it's a navigational challenge, essentially. You know, we, we meet with everybody that's out there that's trying to launch a new platform. We talk to them about how they're trying to make it work. What's their monetization strategy. Uh, we understand pretty well what it costs us to produce video and how to reach an audience. And, and then we, you know, we, we try to experiment. We, we pilot things, we try things. If it works, then great. If it doesn't work, then then that's okay. We can move on to something else. Um, right now, we're in, we're trying to be where wherever our audience is. And then, from a standpoint of uh, nerdist, like how, I mean, really, it's incredible though that this one podcast and website, like Nerdist, was such a great name. Great name. Like, how did that come to be? And I mean, it's, it, you know what it is right away. It's uh, look, I, I I I don't know where Hardwood came up with the name. I don't know, but it, it's, it certainly expresses who we are pretty clearly. And so do you say you're more like y- your business and your email is legendary, mm-hmm. but you're with all these other sub these properties. So where, like, where do you fit in the universe is where do you work? So what we've created here with Nerdist is this thing called legendary digital networks. So since I got here, we also brought on geek and sundry, just Felicia Dacia and Tom Merritt. And Veronica Belmont, their show Sword and Laser mm-hmm. was on was Geek on and Geek Sundry at some point. So we brought we brought them on board. They're inside the fold. We also brought on Amy Poehler's Smart Girls as yep. another channel. Great. And these are all channels that that once upon a time were you know essentially YouTube channels. And what we've created is a is a platform that allows these channels to help develop their audience and content without having to be overly focused on what I'd call the, the business elements of it, right? So we have a sales team that works across all of the channels. We have a production team that helps produce the videos and the content for all of those channels. Um, we have business and legal affairs. We have uh, this, this great building that we're all in that supports all of the different channels. We've got our sound stages. Um, the channels themselves get to focus then on, on how do they communicate with their audience? What's the next show that they wanna do? Um, what kind of social media are they, are they using? And it, it results in a much more creative environment than worrying about, okay, well, I also have to go work, figure out how to find a new sponsor. And we've got a sales team that's going to go help find the sponsors that come up. And they're not worried about going out of business or like where to get their next paycheck. Right. There's some support and infrastructure here. Exactly. And so it's less, I imagine, stressful for the creators yeah, they, and less tenuous. They focus on the things that are important, right? So, you know, if you think of us like a, like a cable network, you know, if you're, if you're the sci-fi channel you're not figuring out how you get the sci-fi channel carried on Comcast. That's, that's NBC's job, mm-hmm. right? That's Comcast's job. They're, they're figuring out how to get the channels carried and what subscriber fees they should get. And, you know, all they have to worry about is, are they producing good shows that are driving audience? Right. And do their job. And do their job and help market those shows. So do you think there's like a certain element of these companies? Like they have one, like Amy Poehler, Smart Girls, Felicia Day, Geek and Sundry, Chris with Nerdist, like, is there a driving force you think that it helps to have someone that's more of a, 
a figure like that's the influencer and then the company around that? Yeah, well, for us, that's been a that's been a key differentiator. I, I think it's important as these worlds, the, the, it's hard to deliver the message out there about who you are and what you represent. Like if you just decided, hey, we're going to launch a new brand that's in the fan fandom space, right? It's going to be a new channel focused on comic books. Okay, well, why is somebody going to go to that channel? How are you? How are you going to? In in ten seconds or less, how are you going to explain to somebody what that channel represents? You know, by having Felicia and Chris and Amy involved, it instantly sets a tone of, okay, I I, I know who Felicia is. I know what she represents. I I get it. I'm going to go check that out. Um, and and for us, that's an important starting place. Now, fast forward ten or fifteen years from now, when there's more established platforms and and ways to communicate and market some of your shows, maybe that doesn't become quite as important. But right now, I think this this world of influencers where you can instantly assign certain aspects of, uh, of what to expect from something that they're doing helps a lot. And there's certain street cred they bring and an audience that they have that they earned over time. They have their audience that they've earned and then they've got friends and family that, you know, are in their circles. Right. right? You know, it's, it's, there are people who are friends with Amy Poehler that, that want to come work with us and be part of the, those shows. And it's much easier for us to get them to be involved if, you know, you've got Amy on board. Right. Same thing with Felicia and Will Wheaton um, and Chris Hardwick and Jonah Ray and, and those kinds of things on, on the nerdist side. There's a word that in, in the book, I think I'm going to say if you should take a drink every time you hear the word authenticity, because <laughs> it's a great word, but it's really overused. Um, so authenticity, there's something about these people that they have that. There is. I, I think we're entering a world increasingly where it's harder and harder for people to pretend to be something that they aren't in a world where cameras are following people around all the time. Like, you know, pretty quickly where to, when it turns out, Oh, this guy who usually in a, in a movie plays a super nice guy, but it turns out he's a complete ass yeah. whenever he's talking to, you know, or treats certain people really, really badly. Or, Hey, he pushed that old lady down when she was crossing the street. <laughs> you know, these things now, yeah. and you lose all ability to then connect with that person when they're trying to present themselves in some other way so the people who are basically playing or being the people that they are i think are the ones that are it's much easier for them to succeed and they're just being themselves exactly it's not like they're a player, you know we're no longer like looking at these actors and saying oh they're funny like amy poehler even on tv like uh leslie nope leslie nope yeah she's like obviously a funny character but she's this character that amy poehler brings to life exactly and so there's nothing worse than like seeing some like old celebrity that like I used to work on marketing and like people would say Lady Gaga needs to like endorse this product and and then I like studied her Twitter and clicks and Bitly links and super data yeah focus but it was like she had no conversion it was like worse than a banner ad even though she has 20 million followers you only, you get less than half of a percent of people that clicked on it but then Machinima gamers would get 15%, mm-hmm. even though they only had 100,000 followers. But you get that like nucleus of fans that really love their affinity for the influencers so much greater than some broad celebrity. Absolutely. And so now like with Nerdist, for example, though, like Bill Gates came on. He was on the podcast. And there's all these figures now, like Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And what's that like? I mean, that's, that's like so validating to think that this thing about nerds, when people were bullied being a nerd being a geek is a little more chic right because you can be an introvert but on social media like what's that i mean that's got to be so validating that it didn't start that way yeah i mean that wasn't that wasn't they certainly weren't on podcast one through a hundred 
Yes. They, they, they showed up somewhere in the 400 plus range, uh, when you've established yourself as a, as a credible, uh, communicator, right. And, and, and have a defined audience that you know, that you can talk to. Um, but I think it, it also does represent what you were talking about before, which is that the audience that connects with these kinds of influencers is much more likely to listen and engage and participate than the audience you get when you go onto, you know, Saturday Night Live, for example, mm-hmm. or, or one of the late night shows. And Bill Gates is most likely talking about eradicating malaria. Right. But he's not going to necessarily talk about that to that type of an audience that likes comedy and geek culture. Sure. Unless he would go on a show like Nerdist's. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he has a window into that community. Well, when you think about it, there aren't many, you know, who else is out there? What other channels or platforms are there that are not political where you can go on and actually have a, a discussion, a back and forth, real, right. longer form conversation? You know, there, there's I, all I can think of are the political ones, like a meet the press, right. right, where you can get on and sort of go back and But forth. you only have a finite amount of time. Right. You have five to seven minute TV segments. Sure. And then you have to shoehorn all your points in before they cut to break. And so you, then it's like the podcast doesn't have talking points. Mm-hmm. It's like the anti antithesis of TV. Right. Where you're like forced to cram in like, I have a movie. Here's a fu-, like Dave Letterman, you know, or here's a funny story and I'm irreverent. And here's a clip of my, my, my trailer for Mean Girls 2, you know, and... And oftentimes, I think what you find on the podcast, Chris's and, and others, is, is you find that the follow-up question to something is the question that you would want to ask yourself. Yeah. Or, or something where, you know, it, it's, it's the, okay, if I got Ian McKellen in a room and I had a chance to talk to him and we started the conversation talking about X and then he said this, okay, well, I would want to then ask this follow-up question and that's where these podcasts tend to go more often than, okay, great, now let's change the subject and talk about yeah exactly moving right along like they don't have five agenda points that they're trying to discuss and in a lot of ways they're they're not the guests aren't the guests have products and stuff they're pitching Mm -hmm. but that's not the reason they're on necessarily to just huck a product right so how does at midnight interact in all this yeah well look i mean we all know chris is the host of at midnight yeah, um, we are. We participate in. And can you describe at midnight? I'm sure people have heard it, but just in case, you know. So at midnight's this this modern take on a game show where uh, three celebrities, comedians, um, get up on a, on the game show and answer questions or, or talk about subjects that are drawn from day to day pop culture taken from the internet, right? So responding or writing or saying funny comments about things like uh, you know funny memes of the day, those kinds of things. Um, the, one of the biggest things they have is hashtag wars, which a lot of people probably know about because it is pretty much a number one or two trending uh, subject on Twitter every night of the week. Oh yeah. It's incredible. I'll be on Twitter and I'll forget the show's even on, but then you'll get people (laughs) randomly in your feed going after it. Yeah. So we, we participate as Nerdist in, in hashtag wars, uh, along with some of the other producers of the show and, and help drive, drive audience and awareness that way. We help promote the show on Nerdist. Um, we, we occasionally are able to help get people onto the show that might be helpful for us to, to promote some of the things we're doing. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and Chris, Chris is a great ambassador for, for who we are. So he always uses the platform to help promote things that Nerdist does. And you guys are co-producers. Yes. As legendary. Yeah. As, of as the show. Nerdist, yeah. I thought it was great because Bernie Burns was on. Yeah. From, and the team from Rooster Teeth. Well, what I think is great about the show is they're not afraid to put sort of 
people on who otherwise you yeah. think of as as comedians or as as TV persons and internet culture people. Yeah, or like people that are big on line but wouldn't be ever on TV. Sure. Hey y'all, that was Adam Reimer, great guy who works at Nerdist Industries and is the president of Nerdist as well as Legendary. I think that uh, that was fun. I loved it. I was really surreal. It was surreal for me to come back into my old stomping grounds where I was laid off. I mentioned that at the beginning. There's obviously a lot more to that story, but uh, it was really, really surreal. So I told my mom and my dad. Actually, I didn't tell any of them. I told my wife I was going back. So I don't really talk to my parents pre-interviews. But the uh, surrealness of going to a place where you were laid off. And I remember precisely I was in my car after the layoff happened. I had severance and I cried. I was sad. And then when I immediately went to a bar and had a margarita, I'll never forget this, in uh, Studio City with a guy who I worked with. And we went there and we just were like, hey, take it easy. Have a good life. I'm never going to see you again because you, you were laid off. I was laid off. This guy, Jonathan. And then uh, it turned out that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Oftentimes when you have a job, you can't get out of it because you keep, it's hard to mentally like start interviewing or applying for jobs online. Unless people actively recruit you, which at the time people were not. Uh, it was It's just hard to go and interview during your work day and go to drinks, you know, it's, it was too much. I was in Burbank over by Bob, uh, Bob Hope airport. And, uh, but it worked out. My wife and I went to Palm Springs for the weekend. And after the layoff, I recharged my batteries. I got interviews lined up and I got the job at machinima.com, which actually was, you know, where I realized the influencer economy was coming hot. And I felt like the influencer economy was going to be big. So it all worked out in the end, and I'm grateful for that job, and especially the job at Machinima, and for the job at State.com afterwards. And now, finally, here I am, years later, hopefully creating a big idea and executing with the book and the podcast. So a trip down memory lane for, for me and anyone else who knows me and has heard that story before. Um, but yeah, big things coming up. I'm going to do another Apple Store event in Santa Monica on November 11th on a Wednesday. And I'll be doing them regularly starting in January. So every month I will do an Apple Store event in the briefing room where I'll be speaking with a creator, maker, or entrepreneur from the L.A. community. And the theme will be how to create a startup in Los Angeles. Psyched about that. We'll be doing more events at the library downtown. I do free talks there. I'll also be doing webinars, which I'm psyched about, about how to launch your startup and how to brand your idea. And really it's the influencer economy principles that will be coming out uh, on the webinars and and finally, the book, it's coming out in the winter. I'm hesitant to say January 2nd, but I, I'm hoping to ship then. And I need to do graphics and a lot of design and editing as well. But <sighs> 10 chapters in, it's looking good. I'm super excited. I cannot wait to get it out to people. And so at the very least, it'll be uh, this winter and aiming for January 2nd. So enough about me and the book and all that good stuff. I just finished a Bill Simmons chapter and working on a chapter about VidCon as well. So great guests coming along. The Rhino Show will be the new name very, very soon. Rhinoshow.com will be our destination website. So I cannot wait to get all that out to the world. Julia is almost two. We're celebrating her birthday next weekend. Going to be doing one of those kid jungle gym type things for friends to come and bring their kids. So without further ado, head to Duke Zeberts for some chicken.
in the pot. And maybe some matzo soup with Larry King.